0: You're listening to The Effective Statistician, episode number 38, the past, present, and future of estimates, an interview with Chrissy Fletcher and Mona Akatsha. Welcome to The Effective Statistician with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske, the weekly podcast for statisticians in the health sector designed to improve your leadership skills, widen your business acumen, and enhance your efficiency. We are creating an online course for improving your leadership skills as a statistician, even if you have no direct reports. So register now your interest on the page theaffectivestatistician.com/.course In today's episode, we'll talk about estimates why it's important for us, why the concept itself is important and what are the implications. We'll talk about the terminology of the estimate framework and also explore how it relates to missing data terminology. The guests are absolute fantastic, they are key players in this field and if you go to conferences you will see Chrissy's and Mona's name very very often presenting on this topic. Um, very very nice interview guests so stay tuned for this amazing episode. This podcast is created in association with PSI, a global member organization dedicated to leading and promoting best practice and industry initiatives. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to special interest groups, the video on demand content library, free registration to upcoming PSI events, and much, much more. Visit the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about upcoming PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to another episode of the Effective Statistician, Uh, this is Alexander Schacht and today I'm without my co-host Benjamin because his child is sick, so um, I'm alone here from uh, my side, but I have two very, very nice guests, um, Muna from Novartis and Chrissy from Amgen. Hello together.
1: Hi there.
2: Hello.
0: Okay, very good. Um, maybe we start with a little bit of an introduction first of um, uh, what have brought you to this topic, what you're currently working on, and um, um, what's your kind of feeling about uh, estimates. So, Mona, maybe we can start with you first.
1: Okay, so um, thank you first of all for for having me here today. So uh, my name is Mona, as you've already said. I'm Uh, working in the statistical methodology group at Novartis for around eight years now. And regarding your question, what brought me to estimates? I think this is already going back like four to five years by now. So when the concept paper was published 2014, I remember that my manager um, came to me and said, you are our expert on missing data. So my PhD was in missing data hence somewhat of an expertise in that area. And he essentially said, so you're an expert in missing data, so how about you try to collect the comments on this concept paper and wrap your head around it? And uh, well, admittedly, that was the very first time I heard about the word estimate per C. Um But ever since, I, I really enjoyed the topic. Um, I think very quickly we figured out that it's much broader than missing data. So it was brought to me as such, but uh, I think we all appreciate uh, by now that it's broader than that. And yeah, I've been working on some aspects around it ever since, currently mostly around recurrent events and time-to-event estimates, so some considerations around that type of endpoint. Okay. So
2: maybe I'll stop here. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, very good. So Chrissy, what's your involvement with that?
2: Hi, so I'm Chrissy Fletcher and I work at Amgen. Um, I'm a TA head in biostatistics for the non-oncology disease areas. Um, I got involved in Estimans when we had the draft concept and a few of us reached out and discussed with Rob Hemings as the lead for the draft concept, what were some of the challenges he was introducing or thinking about before he was submitting it to ICH. Um, so that was through the and PSI Regulatory Committee. So we, we got involved quite early into some of, some of the thinking processes behind the concept paper. And as I'm a member of the FPIA uh, Clinical Development Expert Group, um, I was able to get involved and become one of the FPIA uh, representatives on the ICH E9 working group. Um, and it's, I, it's certainly been a journey that um, has been very interesting and challenging and obviously still continues to this day.
0: Okay, very good. Mona, you mentioned already that you, know, you were put on this Problem because of your experience with missing data, um, but you mentioned that it's it's much broader than that. So, so um, I know that this is the origin, but, but why has it developed into something that is much broader than handling missing data? Yeah,
1: that's a good question, actually. So, um, I mean. I think from the background that I've heard from from some of our regulatory con, uh, colleagues, but also internally of people who have been in industry for a bit longer, I think a lot of the challenges that led or that motivated the concept paper really stemmed from missing data problems. So sometimes you would have, let's say, submissions where we would choose a certain way of handling missing data. And then sometimes the regulatory agencies uh, would maybe disagree on that approach or would prefer an alternative approach. And very often these discussions would happen uh, amongst statisticians, let's say. And in all that discussion, sometimes I believe it was maybe um, forgotten that we sometimes don't really ask ourselves very carefully why why are those data missing. And is the fact that they are missing themselves already telling me something about either efficacy or safety of the drug. So just as an example, so when I when I joined from a sort of academic head, let's say, when I joined the industry uh, and I consulted on a couple of projects, it wouldn't even cross my mind to ask, are these data really missing? Or are we just considering them not useful for this analysis? So take a diabetes drug, for example, where patients uh, are sort of observed over several weeks. And some of them then start taking rescue medication when the HbA1c values are not well controlled. And I think the practice in the past was to disregard the data after intake of rescue, although we would sometimes collect that and then do something like less observation carried forward. Um, So I would only get into the problem once people talk about missing data uh, and so on, but I think with this whole estimate discussion it's becoming more clear that Missing data is just one facet of that. But actually, all types of data that are, let's say, tainted by either other medications or that where the patients are not fully following the protocol or they are dying, let's say, so the data doesn't exist, it's not missing, it simply doesn't exist. So all these things were sometimes put into one bucket, the missing data bucket, and we statisticians deal with it. And I think this whole estimate discussion has helped us now to take it back out of the bucket let's say to talk about it a bit more clearly and sometimes the mere fact that a patient is not willing to take a drug for 12 weeks or 16 weeks is the key outcome itself so the information is not missing although the symptom score itself maybe does that
2: help clarifying
0: yeah Chrissy do you want to add to that
2: yeah I mean I I think um If you think of ICHE9, the the key principle in ICHE9 is intention to treat. And those of us who understand E9 would say that intention to treat is all patients randomised and followed through to the outcome. And I think we we seem to have maybe lost a little bit of that over over many years. And that, um, again, the missing data report from the NRC um, back in 2010 really emphasised the need to follow through on patients whether they were adherent or not to the treatment. And as Muna says, we sort of handled um, issues with the data as, as though it was a statistical issue only. So s is really taking us all back to square one, is what is it we're trying to estimate. And, and that's, that's the, the coin, the S-Demand. And I think it's making sure that if you do want to take a treatment policy perspective and follow patients after they've been randomised, then we need to make sure we try to minimise truly missing data but perhaps there are other clinical questions where we do actually want to know what happens to uh, the treatment effect for patients who can tolerate the treatment or do adhere to treatment. But That's a different estimate of our treatment effect. So I think this new framework is giving us more clarity about what it is we're trying to address, what's the key question in a study. And this isn't just a statistical issue and we do need to think of it as a, a study objective. What is, it, what is it we're trying to estimate?
0: So the, if I understand it correctly, on the surface it was some missing data problem. But actually, by digging deep, deeper into the the actual problem, we identified that we don't have a missing data problem. we also have a missing data problem. But actually, our problem is that we weren't clear on what we actually wanted to measure and what we act- which objectives we actually wanted to answer because. I think commonly we wrote just objectives like we want to understand the treatment effect of drug A versus drug B in this patient population by that measure or something like this. So we weren't really kind of clear on what treatment effect actually means. Yeah.
2: So if I can start, I think it's, it's even got a bit worse than that. I think we've been calling things intention to treat in the protocol, but we actually are not taking an intention to treat approach. So we have wanted to say we're, we're looking at the effect of a treatment. We're going to be looking at the full analysis set. But in our analysis methods, we actually haven't been applying the intention to treat principle. Okay. So what we have been calling an intention to treat estimate is actually not an intention to treat estimate because of the way we've handled data, not just missing data, but how we've handled patients who, for example, took rescue or what happens to patients who discontinue. And all these, all these different events matter in terms of what we're estimating.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you mentioned already iche e nine um, and that that actually currently needs an update and this update is uh, this is currently working on and hopefully uh, becoming uh, live next year there's currently the um, the uh, the time where the responses and comments to this draft guideline um, has closed and currently people are working on on these comments so Chrissy, can you explain shortly what ICHE9 is about and why it needs an update?
2: So ICHE9 is introducing a new framework for how we design, conduct and analyse clinical trials. And it's, it's a logical framework that t- hopes to really bring together the study objectives to define what it is we're estimating, to make sure that the planned analysis methods are aligned to that what it is we're estimating. And we also have aligned sensitivity analyses. So the E9 addendum, which is an update to E9, it's not going to, it's going to sit as a, an, a separate document to E9. It's really trying to realign ourselves to make sure that if we are, we are, we are going to be clear in terms of what we're estimating. But also a big part of the addendum is redefine what we mean by sensitivity analysis. So, um, ICHE 9 currently says that we might use different analysis sets to test the robustness of our trial conclusions. But if we take a diff, if we, if we analyse our data and use different patient sets, that in the new framework is going to be a different treatment effect of interest, a different estimate. So, we, we, we need to make sure that whatever we're doing for sensitivity analyses are now going to be aligned to our estimates of interest.
0: Yeah, and just for the listeners who are not uh, used to what ICH actually means, that is a a regulatory consortium um, across the world um, that seeks to harmonize how um, regulatory submissions are done across the world, so Japan, U.S., um, Europe, but also lots of other regulators are involved in that. Uh, And E9 specifically speaks about... um, Lots of these statistical problems uh, that we have um, so so we talked already a lot about estimates um and we we i think the the origin of this uh, as we talked about is this missing data, and we already talked about treatment policy and and maybe other aspects of that um And if you look into the updates, there's, uh, I think, currently five different approaches mentioned to to these intercurrent events, which could be dropouts or could be rescue medication or these kind of things. But um, whenever we talk about statisticians as um, about estimates, it seems to be very focused on this intercurrent event. But that's not the only key aspect of the, the estimate, isn't it?
2: So the intercurrent event is, is one consideration. And we need to understand what intercurrent events are of interest for our study. But yes, that's one of at least four attributes that are going to be really important for an estimate. demand. The other attributes include the population. And the population means the target population that our label is hoping to achieve. We're also interested in the variable or the endpoint of interest. What is it we're going to be basing the treatment effect of interest on? We're also concerned also with the well, how are we going to summarise the treatment effect? And is that going to be some kind, for example, a difference in means between treatment groups or treatment regimens? So, all in all, there's a number of different attributes to an S demand, including the intercurrent events, and together these will make an S demand description. But this S-demand description will hopefully enable all stakeholders including regulators and payers and HGA agencies to understand what it is we're estimating and how we're handling events that happen in trials in terms of that and how that leads to an estimate of our treatment effect.
0: So, so let's go a little bit deeper into that. If, if we start with population, so you mentioned that the kind of label population, but I guess, uh, you know, Within this label population, there could be also different subpopulation for which you would have different estimates. So, so you could have maybe one where you look for uh, patients with a specific comorbidity or patients with a diff, uh, specific kind of uh, severity of a certain aspect of of their disease or, or things like that. So, so that is always one of the the key elements. Yeah. Yeah
1: yeah uh, I think that's an important
0: one yeah yeah and and if we think about it the this population is that I think we often very much think from the inex exclusion criterion of of the study that is it the study population or is it or are we more talking about the population in which these patients will be prescribed?
2: it is it's the latter it's our we're looking at the target population what are the patients we hope to treat and we hope that our study is representative of our target population through the inclusion exclusion criteria and of course once we once we've recruited all our patients we need to demonstrate that that trial population is actually representative of our target population so if you don't have that there will be some questions that you'll you'll need to address
0: so, so imagine you have, let's say, um, a US population. This is maybe one target population, and then the next for the next regulator it's maybe, let's say, Korea. And in Korea, the patients are, let's say, on average twenty kilos lighter than in the US. So, um, and and maybe weight actually plays an important role in your uh, as a treatment effect modifier. So would you need to then kind of have different estimates for these different populations?
1: I guess you could, right? I mean if, if, if you are looking at a at a subgroup analysis where you're focusing more on let's say Asian uh, patients then that is certainly still in the in the remit of, of what we do, and then actually by defining the population accordingly, which, as you said, may be implemented in terms of the analysis approach and statistics through a model that includes rate or, or another type of uh, surrogate for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I personally think that that's still uh, certainly possible. I don't know, Chrissy, would you agree?
2: Yeah, it comes back to the design. I mean, we also now have ICHE 17, which is a multi-regional clinical trial guideline. So again, if your null hypothesis is that you have a consistent treatment effect across all, all the regions you're doing the study, then you're, you're assuming a common treatment effect. But if you don't have that and weight is going to be an issue... And if you haven't maybe stratified for weight, then you, you, you may have a, you know, some additional analyses to understand whether you do have a consistent effect between different regions. Yeah. Uh, so it depends on what, what, how you design the study, whether that subpopulation is something that you do plan for, you may have a separate estimate specifically to look at Korea, for example, if that was of, of a question that you wanted your, your study to address but okay. the main thing is that you specify that up front and you don't wait for the planned methods of analysis to say that you actually want to look at a subgroup in South Korea or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You need to have it up front and aligned to the study objectives.
0: Okay, okay, very good. Um, then the second point is we talk about the endpoint. point. Um, let's say you have um, a diabetes study, as you just mentioned, and we are looking into HbA1c. Would then we just say HbA1c as the endpoint, or how, how would that look like?
1: So, I guess it would depend on, on your aim, let's say. So, let, let, let's look at HbA1c as the endpoint, together with the fact that many patients may take rescue medication. So some people may argue the mere fact that you require rescue medication is a sign for lack of efficacy. So it is a failure to the initially randomized treatment. And you could even think about defining the composite endpoint where you require a certain improvement in terms of HbA1c. And in addition, you have to stay on treatment at least for a certain duration. At the end, diabetes is a chronic disease. You want patients to be on treatment for far longer than 12, 24 uh, weeks, right? And I think this whole, um, the, the whole estimate discussion, at least in my mind, has also helped in phrasing the endpoint in a more clear and transparent way. So sometimes, for example, you would read, our endpoint is it, hba one c And then in the missing data handling section, you read, we do non-responder imputation for patients that take rescue. So really, the endpoint is a composite endpoint where you require a certain improvement on HbA1c, and you have to stay on treatment. But in the past, sometimes by saying these are in separate sections of the protocol, you actually have to look at different places to really know how to interpret the treatment effect estimate that you get at the end. Um, so the endpoint also is affected by intercurrent events in, in certain settings.
0: Okay, so so these four different aspects that we are currently talking about, they are somehow related to each other. They, they can't kind of, yes. you can very often if you change one, you also change something else. Exactly. Yeah. Okay.
1: So coming back maybe briefly to a point that you said earlier, that a lot of statisticians, when they talk about estimates, mostly focus on intercurrent events. So I think in a way that's a, that's almost a good thing because really that, uh, I think a lot of the discussions around STMEN boil down to how do we account or how do we capture these intercurrent events which themselves show us a different perspective on the treatment effect. And they can impact the population, they can impact the endpoint, they can impact the summary measure or the, like, how to account for intercurrent events themselves. So um, given that in the past we have already focused a bit of that's normal, or it comes normal to us to focus on population, endpoint, and summary measure, the focus on intercurrent events is actually, I guess, the good new thing with this estimate framework.
0: Chrissy, do you want to add to that?
2: Yeah, and I think the other, the other thing that the estimate discussion is now bringing out is are we being clear on what, is, what are the treatments that we're comparing? Um, Some trials, all patients are on a background therapy. Um, It may be truly placebo-controlled in naive patients. You may have a a more complex study where patients are randomized in oncology. They have some kind of induction therapy and move on to consolidation therapy. Well, in all these different scenarios, I think another sort of highlight to me is making sure that we're being clear on what it is we're comparing between so is it just a placebo versus a new active? Or is it standard of care plus new versus standard of care plus placebo? And I think over time we've lost in some way what is it, how we label some of our treatment regimens in our studies. So the demands will also now make it clearer in terms of what is it we're comparing against and at what point we're comparing those treatments. Um, the different strategies to handling intercurrent events uh, are also enabling us to take different approaches. So you're not just taking the same approach for all intercurrent events. Um, there's lots more flexibility allowed uh, in terms of how you want to handle each intercurrent event. But again, the challenge will be is uh, coming up with a very nice estimate and description, but also being able to then use appropriate methods to estimate that estimate. Mm. And as, as anything we know, statisticians... Uh, there's a number of methods we can use, but what's the most unbiased method? So what's going to be the most appropriate method, and what assumptions are being made? And actually, how can I then verify these assumptions by doing different analyses, as as part of my sensitivity analysis, to check that I'm still aligned, and I actually do generate a robust estimate at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, I think the, this term bias, I think, is a really important one because it also helps us to think about bias. Means we are systematically estimating something that we actually don't want to estimate, um, and so there's a, there's a difference between our what we want to estimate and the um, and the estimator and the expected estimator and the, the But for that, first, we need to be clear on what we want to estimate. And I think that was one of the big, big problems in the past that we weren't really clear about that. And I think my my perception is all this framework helps really with uh, vocabulary to um, explain what we are really doing. And what I got from your comments, uh, Chrissy, is that maybe another kind of dimension um, to the estimate framework is actually treatment, or what we are actually comparing, uh, which could be kind of treatment, but it could also be kind of treatment, a treatment policy, or you know, or, or something like that, and um, and and that kind of also is um, associated with uh, population, isn't it? Because maybe you're you know you're studying. Um, in a specific population that has a specific kind of um, uh, pre-treatment or uh, concomitant therapy. So, so that feeds into this treatment as well, isn't it?
2: Yeah, well, that's exactly a good example where, and as Muna says, all these things are interrelated. So uh, patients coming into a trial may have had to fail some prior, prior therapy. They may have had uh, specific previous lines of therapy And you may or may not need to be very specific in your population, but that is what you're studying in your trial. So sometimes the prior medications is really important to highlight as part of that population statement. Um, Or you may be clarifying that it is patients who have had certain therapies that you want to, to be in your population, your target population. And of course, and sometimes in our clinical trials, we have patients who come into the trials that actually failed an inclusion exclusion criteria. Well, what are we going to do with those patients? How does that impact what we're trying to estimate? And so the population is really trying to make us clear what it, what it is that, that what, what patients are we treating in our trial and how does that relate to our target population?
0: OK, OK. The third aspect in the, uh, this estimate framework is about the um, how we actually then measure, what kind of statistics do we use. So there we need to be very specific in terms of whether we look into um, response differences or odds ratios or relative risks or these kind of things, isn't it?
2: That's correct, so it's, it's the, we call it the um, summary measure, and um, it is what it is we're going to be using to differentiate the treatment effects. And there's been a lot of discussion, particularly in time-to-end event analyzes um, where, for example, if we're looking at uh, a survival endpoint, we often will use the hazard ratio um, as, a, as the summary measure. But of course, we all know that in order to use the hazard ratio, we're assuming proportional hazards. And we don't often have that in our clinical trial. So there's lots of discussions around what would be an appropriate summary measure in time-to-event or time kind of analyzes I think in our analyses, it's quite straightforward. Um, but we would, looking, if we're looking at change from baseline, we would look at the, maybe the, uh, the, the difference in means, again, assuming normality. And we, might, we would like to test that. And, and if we need to transform the data, we would obviously do so. But Mina, would you have
1: any thoughts? Um, no, I think that was nicely summarised. I guess, I mean, the, the, the summary measure is essentially uh, asking us to specify what is the particular aspect of these curves, let's say, that we want to focus on. In survival, that could be like the survival difference at a certain type point. It could be the hazard ratio. But as uh, Christy has said, this comes with, some interpretational challenges, unless you really have the proportional hazards assumption holding, which, of course, at the design stage and so on, you won't. I mean, you don't know in general. So it's sort of appreciating that at the end of the day, while we have all the data and the totality of, of that information, we want to combine it somehow and condense it. And the question is, on which aspect? Is it relevant and appropriate to condense it so that we have something that's interpretable not only to us, the but also to the clinicians. At the end, it will be in the label. So to treating physicians and patients. And while it seems almost trivial, so we have to state the summary measure, I think through the discussions around the estimate framework, I think some of these things that we have taken for granted throughout the last decades let's say so some established practices are in fact being sort of revisited and sometimes even questioned whether sometimes maybe we have to rethink how we can summarize these curves or the the totality of the data in an appropriate way so that's another plus i see although it seems very simple to start with yeah yeah
0: it seems really simple but i think it's in this simplicity, it helps us to be also more transparent and more also that it's very clear in what we are want to do. So, so for example, if we want to analyze a binary endpoint, we are upfront saying how actually we want to measure it, whether we you know look into odds ratios or risk differences or whatsoever, because. I think very often that would only appear then maybe in the specifications of the table, what you actually present, um, rather than somewhere in the protocol um, or, or the SAP. You may just say, oh, we'll do a logistic regression. But what do you present then from the logistic regression? Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: And to me, in fact, I think it would be pretty important, for example, the alteration, ratio, right? I mean, that's a term we use and many uh, many clinicians will probably also know what it means. But it would almost be nicer if we could sort of put it in a layman's word, what does it mean? Mm. Uh, So that the estimate, ideally, at least in my mind, should be something that we write together with with the whole clinical team. And if we then give it to a treating physician or even a a patient, ideally, they should be able to understand what it means. And odds ratio, to be honest, is not something that my mom, I guess, would pick up and think yeah of course i understand that so it, it also gives us this uh, this opportunity to sort of try and phrase things in a in a way that we can communicate it in a transparent and clear way
2: with yeah with patients and so on and i think that's going to be a key focus going forward is that um We'll have a number of different estimates that we will we will want to get out of our trials, and that's perfectly fine. There are different stakeholders who are interested in different treatment effects. Me as a patient, I could be interested in one estimate of treatment effect, which is different to a clinician who's treating a whole group of patients, and that's different to a healthcare system. Well, what is what is the population going to be able to achieve if I if I if I prescribe this treatment? But we, we, we do need to specify these all up front and, and be clear why are they different. And by that description, we'll understand why they're different. But as Moona says, they need to be understood by a layman. We can't make it technical. Like there could be a technical um, version of an estimate, but we do need to be able to, to describe estimates very clearly so that all our stakeholders, including patients, can understand what it is we're estimating.
0: That's very actually a very very good topic. So it's not only something for regulatory interactions. It's much broader than that. So so it it basically forms the basis that we can communicate with many many uh, stakeholders. You mentioned uh, prescribing physicians, patients, um, payers. You know, insurance companies or uh, government agencies that, that uh, inform payers on a national level. So. It really affects everything in in our industry. Um, And I think this is so so fundamental to what we are doing that every statistician really needs to be well-trained on these kind of things uh, because it affects... um, setting up studies it affects reading studies it affects Uh, analyzing studies it affects communicating about study publishing about study interpretation critiquing other studies all these kind of different things it has an um, impact on and even if you work only let's say uh, not only if you work on um Integrating studies uh, from different sources into something, you need to be very, very clear on what you're trying to estimate. And I think there, in these, even in these network meta-analysis kind of areas, something that more works along these lines would help a lot. Um, although they actually have um, the PICO statement, which more or less goes into the same direction where they say okay which studies they want to look into, which um, uh, interventions they want to look into and so on. It goes a little bit into this direction but it's, I think it's not as elaborate as the, the, the estimate framework and the estimate framework is much more, more detailed and clear in terms of um, what's what's being done there. So yeah, there is, I, think
2: there are, I think there are links between PCOS and the Estimans framework. There's not exactly a, a match per se, but there's, there's a lot of uh, synergy. Um, I think people should realise now, though, that the Estimans will impact design of, of future studies, but also how we do synthesise evidence. But we've had that problem now that where people are calling a intention to treat estimate and, and merging it with other intention to treat estimates across studies, when actually we don't really know and unless you go in deep into the methods, how was the estimate of treatment effect actually derived? So I think we've been using labels a lot, but now we're going to, be, we need the statistical community to actually be, to look into the details. What is, what is it that for that particular trial is published? How was the treatment effect derived? Um, especially if we're going to be doing meta-analyses or network meta-analyses, making sure that we are comparing apples to apples. Um, unfortunately, though, we, don't, you know, we, we may only have the published information, so we may need to understand what has been estimated and, and, and appropriately use that in our subsequent meta-analysis. But even in designing new studies going forward, think about non-inferiority trials. We have to look at our non-inferiority margins. Well, often we'll go back to previous studies and look at the placebo-controlled trial and um, for the uh, comparator that we're using well, how was that uh, estimate defined? And how does that compare to the estimate we're going to be defining in our new non-inferiority study? So I think, again, going forward, we're going to have better clarity at what we're doing and how we're doing it and understanding maybe some of the nuances that do exist now, but we'll be more transparent about them.
0: Yeah, and I think it gives us the opportunity to... um interact much more meaningful or more meaningful with our non-statistical colleagues, be it on the regulatory side or on the medical side or or the medical writing side or whatsoever, because um, now we can pull it out of the... uh, Stats own section and really put it where it belongs into the uh, objectives into the uh, discussion part of of papers and and speak there about it and not just have it labeled as that's the stats part and the statisticians talk to the other statisticians about it it's something where all the different stakeholders need to be involved
2: yeah if there's one take-home message today from this podcast is please do not think of s as a statistical issue only. It is a cross-functional effort that we need to make sure that the s is aligned to our study objectives. The s does not belong in the statistical analysis plan only. We need it specified in the protocol, aligned to our study objectives. Of course, we'll have much more details about it in the statistical analysis plan, but do not let your colleagues say, oh, this only just sits in the statistical analysis plan. We will be uh, providing some further guidance through Transcellerate. So Transcellerate is a consortium of of industry partners who have developed a common protocol template Um, that uh, that has been updated recently and a new version is coming out, which has actually incorporated estimates into into its template. So I'm hoping that will also give more prudence to making sure that the estimate is described alongside the objective and it does not just reside in the statistical analysis plan.
0: Yeah, and that's actually a very, very nice point. I'm uh, planning to record another episode uh, about Transcelerate um, with one of my colleagues uh, here at Lilly's that is uh, working on exactly that uh, point and so stay tuned to this episode in the future. Um, Speaking about events in the future, um, we talked that there's a huge need for all statisticians to be trained on these kind of different topics. What's going on there? Um, Can you speak a little bit to what PSI is doing in terms of that to to help training people and um, uh, get everybody up to speed regarding this? The estimated topic.
1: So as part of the scientific committee, I, I can share what the scientific committee is planning for 2019. So, um, following up from 2018, where we had uh, a couple of sessions around estimates at the conference, which I think were very well uh, attended, but also we received good feedback for those. And usually, at the end of the conference, we then ask for interest in additional topics for next year's conference and next year one day uh, one day uh, meetings. And not surprisingly, estimate was, yet again, one of the hot topics that, that people were requesting and interested in. So we therefore decided to run an additional PSI one-day meeting early next year, so the date is fixed for the 29th of January, where we will be focusing on uh, new emerging topics around estimates and the ICH E9 Addendum. So as we have, uh, Alexander, you and Christy have briefly mentioned before, so the the draft addendum is currently being revised. The 1,000 plus comments uh, are being read and uh, I'm sure the working group is having a busy time trying to incorporate these into an updated draft. So one of the aims of the meeting um, in the beginning of next year is really to share the feedback from the public consultations and maybe to discuss some future steps so what are maybe some of the changes that, that are to be anticipated then also related to something we discussed before so while i believe the ICH 9 addendum focuses on confirmatory clinical trials the topic itself Affect a much broader uh, set of studies, but also different stakeholders. And we briefly touched uh, upon HTA. So HTA considerations will also be covered at this one-day meeting. So we will have Anja Schiel from the Norwegian Medicines Agency who will talk about the uh, link between estimates and, and HTA considerations. And then I think um something that Many of us have realized in the past, and to be honest, I have only, after being into the estimate topic for around a year where I thought this is somewhat new, I sort of realized that in the causal inference community, this has been there a long time. So the estimates, like defining estimates, as well as being clear around when can you even estimate certain estimates, what are the assumptions that are needed, what are appropriate sensitivity analysis. So a lot of these considerations have already been uh, or have already taken place in the causal inference community. So not surprisingly, there's a lot to be learned from that community as well. And therefore, an additional aspect of this one-day meeting will be around causal inference and how that fits with estimates and clinical trials. We will, of course, have some case studies being presented that are at that interface. Um, and, yeah, I think it promises to be a very interesting day. So that is certainly one activity of the PSI. And then there will be sessions at the PSI conference. So the next year's conference, as you all know, is the beginning of June, I believe, in, in London. So there will also be case studies uh, hopefully being presented um, and also a more dedicated session where the PSI RSS winner on PL, uh, on estimation. Uh, on that award that was given for work on estimates we will we'll be presenting some of the work as well. Um, so I would just say stay tuned. I'm sure there will be even some additional uh, things coming up. And I'm also sure that some other um, associations in Europe and US and beyond are actually thinking about some conference sessions and so on on the topic.
2: Yes, mention- within, F- within FPA, we also have a working group of about 70 people now, both combined with FPA and FSPY. So that's enabling us to work directly with clinicians. And the ICH have also released um, 200 slides of training materials on the addendum, on the draft addendum. So uh, um, the, the link went round to, in the SVI newsletter. So look, look at the ICH website under E9 and there's a series of training slides that are accessible to everybody. And I would encourage everyone to use those within your companies to, cross, to train cross-functionally um, the topic of estimates.
0: Very good. And the links to these kind of different things will also be in the show notes. So just go to the f- f- statistician.com, check out this ep- esti- uh, episode, which will be called The Past, Present, and Future of Estimates. <laughs> and uh, there you will find the link to the um, PSI One Day event uh, at IQVIA in the UK um, end of January. Um, as well as uh, other documents that, that we mentioned today. So, thanks so much, uh, Chrissy and Muna, for this very, very nice interview on this super relevant and hot topic at the moment. And um, hope you enjoyed this show. If you have any kind of uh, suggestions for future um, topics you would like to learn about, uh, if you have suggestions on how to improve this overall podcast, Please let me know. Just go to theeffectivestatistician.com and leave a comment there. So, with that, thanks so much to Mona and Chrissy. Thank you. Have
2: a nice day. Bye
0: bye. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks for listening. Please visit theeffectivestatistician.com to find the show notes and learn more about our podcast to boost your career as a statistician in the health sector. If you enjoyed the show, please tell your colleagues about it.